This is Up The Creek, the definitive Jonathan Creek podcast with your host, my good friend Daniel Krupa and me, Gav Murphy. Today, a homemade spam sandwich holds the key to a missing painting. On every episode of this podcast, we look at episodes of Jonathan Creek via three things. The effect, the method, and the reveal. Daniel, what is the effect for this episode? El Greco's Kiss of Judas, a painting worth more than £1.5 million, disappears from within a locked room. That's it. It's a locked room mystery, but without a murder. It's not a real painting, is it? (laughs) I've kind of looked it up, and I can find ones that look similar to it. But I can't find that exact painting. Why don't I just use a real painting? That would be exciting. <laughs> not actually in the show, don't get me wrong. It, it's strange, this episode, because it is a locked room, so you do get excited. Maybe the worst locked room mystery uh, yet. Yeah. Um, I know we've just had some good ones, to be fair. I like the setup of it all. It's more, for me, it falls down why it was done and how it was done. I have some gripes with. But I like the setting, and I like how impactful the disappearance is. That is really good. But I- also, I, I like this crime. It kind of reminds me of when I first read Sherlock Holmes, and you think it's going to be all murders. And then in The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, he's like finding people's lost jewelry. He's doing a lot of like errands. Yeah. Well, it's that, that they pay the bills, don't they? And this one almost literally pays the bills because they put a 50 grand uh, reward for it up for grabs. That's why Maddie's really interested. Maddie's bang into this. Um, awesome seeing Bob Monkhouse. Yeah, I love Bob Monkhouse. Miracle of miracles, it's bingo on the beeb. As they say in the Virgin Islands, well, I never did. Did you ever used to watch his um, stand-up show? No. I, well, I used to watch maybe, but it felt like he was just always on TV. Yeah, he was a staple when we were kids. And I didn't really realise, because he did a lot of game shows when we were younger, like Wipeout. I didn't realise he had this really long career as a stand-up comedian. And a, he's a really well-respected comedian, especially with kind of wordplay and I remember he used to do this thing on his stand-up show that always used to really impress me where he'd um, ask for submissions from the audience and they would write down words and he'd pick out two words from this like fishbowl and he would come up with a an anecdote basically like Limmy he would come up with an improv story based on those two things and as a kid I thought that was the most impressive thing I've ever seen well, I remember like watching with my dad, and I'm not sure if it would have been around his time as well. Just watching the show, The Comedians. Did you ever watch that? It was like a British thing. It was on like Granada TV, but it, it all it was literally it's just called The Comedians, and they would just have stand-up comedians in, in front of a white wall just talking. So it's a lot of stuff where like Bernard Manning, like lots of old clips of Bernard Manning you see were just him. Um, but I remember watching that with my dad. And it was around that same time because Dave Allen, uh, who's one of my favorite like stand-up comedians, but like that's where I first saw him. And it feels like Bob Monkhouse is part of that kind of just had this flashback to the opening credits of his show because you know he's got he's got quite a distinctive mole on his chin, and in the opening credits it would be him suiting up. And it, I remember this: he would put a rice crispy no a cocoa pop on his chin, and that would be his mole like he was getting ready. <laughs> I was just looking at his thing now. He um. He w- would have been, like, so Americans, if there are any Americans listening, um, we haven't lost them by this point, is he did Family Fortunes, 
like so that was before like you did Family Fortunes, which is Family Feud, 1980 to 1983. So obviously before our time, um, because we had Les Dennis when we were growing up. You're the titan of British comedy. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's Britain's Bob Pope. I'm having that. That's pretty good. But yeah, it's good to see him playing Sylvester Lafley. You do not see characters like that anymore. Probably for good reason, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> well, it's because modern audiences demand a certain level of characterization. Yeah. <laughs> the effect is this painting's gone missing from his house. Um, and he's connected to Jonathan Creek in the sense that he's a theatre reviewer that's given Adam Klaus a bad review. Which Jonathan really has taken to heart. He hasn't shrugged off it. It just shows you that Jonathan does care about things like that, where sometimes in previous seasons you think it was just the pure ingenuity of it all no he could he wants the show to be liked also i guess jonathan unfortunately has like put his horse on put the money down on the wrong horse because he's with he's fixed to adam klaus now who is just a really sort of cheap sleazy magician so he's using all of jonathan's tricks which are really really good but unfortunately they're being dressed up by this adam klaus guy and this theater guy sylvester Flay, would have been reviewing adam klaus performance not his tricks i was thinking about this because this is 1998 and they're burying adam klaus this is a year before David Blaine does his Buried Illusion. Is it? It's a year after David Blaine's first Street Magic. I think, I think in another few years, Jonathan, if he wanted to perform, his whole shtick would have worked. Yeah. As a new contemporary magician, the man in the parker. He could have been a street magician and had an internet career. He's just, he was born, like he says, he was born 100 years too late and maybe a few years too early. Well, what's interesting is... In this episode particularly, we start to see, like we've said in previous episodes, but you start to see Jonathan changing a little bit, coming a little bit more spiky, a little bit more confident. Um, is that all down to his relationship with Maddie? Who knows? That scene where Adam's being buried, something really odd happens in that that doesn't, uh, like I always find odd. And I watched this with some friends who were staying over recently. We watched this episode and... You know, so Adam Klaus is being buried, like they're practicing for a show they're going to be doing uh, in Hyde Park, and an old lady on a scooter comes past and sees them doing it and assumes that they're, I guess, up to, up to no good. She says gangsters. Does she? Yeah. She thinks they're burying someone they've killed. She goes, because they're all wearing like those like black um, crew jackets. So she goes over and goes mad, like hits them, gets them with prep, pepper spray, stuff like that. And like, it's a, it's a pretty big scene. Next scene, no repercussions, nothing. Nobody ever mentions that scene ever again. There's literally no fallout from it because the next scene, they're just trying it again with police there this time. That's it. They don't even mention it. It's so strange. There must have been a scene that was cut where it's obviously like a reaction to it. But it's so odd. Like, Jonathan gets put into a grave. You mention that, don't you? Yeah. The next scene, they're all completely fine and they, just, and they just carry on. It's really strange. Like, that's obviously a scene that's been cut out for time. It's almost like a sketch or a skit. We were just talking about Renwick's background as a sketch writer. That's what it feels like. It's just this little sketch and then, oh, actually, we need to, like, get this going. Because he needs to bring the police women in, I guess, for later on. Yeah, that kind of, I guess that kind of makes sense. But then... Bring him in from the start. I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have cared. 
it's a really odd episode like that. Do you know there's a really funny story with apparently um, The Lonely Island. The Lonely Island were filming a skit in New York. It's before they were really, really big, where I think it's like Andy Samberg is dressed up as an old lady and doing a similar thing where, like, I think it was like two guys robbing an old lady. Kiefer Sutherland was driving past at that exact time, guess out and stops it. And they have to explain to him, like, oh, mate, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a skit, it's a skit. Did he lasso um, him? Yeah, cut off like it's just like like absolutely cutting off his fingers, putting his doing the wet balls thing. So what happens then? <laughs> well, is it like I didn't think I, I realized how odd an episode this was until I rewatched it before recording this because it kind of I think to get through a lot of Maddie stuff and some character stuff, it kind of eschews a lot of the regular Jonathan Creep beats because there's not the same level of clues, epiphany, and all that sort of stuff that we usually get on these episodes. No. It's really strange. So Jonathan solves it instantly. Yeah. But he's being a dickhead about it yeah. because because he's got a bad review once. Which, I'm not being funny, I've met Adam Klaus only a few times in uh, this show. I could see how possibly he would rub a reviewer up the wrong way. But the method is that the it's all down to the spam sandwich, as he says, because the painting never actually leaves the room. Uh, Melissa, the little boy the weird little boy's old nanny um cuts has come up with this elaborate scheme to get back at uh sylvester lafay and his wife for sacking her um and they but with the use of her little sister cut the painting out and managed to slip it into a curved spanish moorish design dating back to the 1900s when the 15th Marquis had them specially imported from his villa in Aragon. At some point, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, her boyfriend, again, they found an hour where they've taken off these like ornate antique doors and created a special compartment within them. I really like uh, that when Melissa is being sacked, Jeff is with her collecting her stuff and it just goes, oh yeah, uh, this door's hollow. <laughs> it's like, why would you bring that up? As she's leaving, because he, he like she shows him coming up with that. And he's like, "Uh, by the way, I know you're really sad losing your job and that. This door's hollow. Maybe it's something Jeff always does because he's a carpenter. He just goes, <laughs> that's hollow. You hide a painting in there if you want. Yeah, because it's really odd, isn't it? So, because we've got clues, but they're fake clues. Uh, Sylvester Lafay thinks that not enough for cry- thinks that the, the insurance company is not going to think enough has happened. So it's really odd because we've got footprints that he's left in talcum powder and this hence the scented room like that's what the whole thing is it's weird that the episode is named after this other bit of room it's really all over the place there's no epiphany really because he works it out as soon as he gets in there yeah so what you get in this because he's already solved it you get this like weird coquettish thing that jonathan does where he comes up with this symbol it's a little bit like the matchbox in jack in the box yeah yeah yeah. he says the key to this is eric's spam sandwich and that's the little thing he gives to maddie so for most of the episode it's maddie trying to figure it out even though jonathan's already come up with the solution and the spam sandwich is a nice image of that it's something layered in between two outer sheaths sort of thing yeah so that is the solution but it's kind of a bit crap that you don't get to go on the regular journey with Jonathan. And even at the end, when it's revealed how he's, how they've done it, you get this shot of Jonathan looking at the two-tone doors. It's like, you never get that properly at the time. It, yeah, it's, um, it, it, you know, it kind of shows like his smugness because this, this entire episode is, 
incredibly smug. Everybody is being really smug. Jonathan's being smug. Sylvester Laflay's, uh is being smug. Even the little boy looks smug as fuck. <laughs> Benjamin. I can work it out. Why didn't he go across the carpet? Exactly. If I got a treehouse, if I built someone a treehouse with a and lifting it and he's playing with a rubber band I'd be fuming <laughs> that magic trick is uh, I learned how to do that from a Frosty's uh, pack like do you remember, like when you used to get toys in cereal there was one in Frosty's that it was like a magic series I guess they did and they had loads of tricks with it but that was one that was in that you never get kids being given a rubber band as a, as a prize <laughs> anymore um, like it does make sense but this is one of the ones where you don't, you're not really given everything that you could be to work it out. We're given none of the main antagonists. Mm. Because even at the end of the episode, Maddie has to have a flashback going, I knew that name, Melissa. And you've got, it almost has to remind you and the audience to legitimate this party because they're never present. That's really interesting as well that you bring up that because I was trying to think of... You don't get that many... You do get flashbacks in Jonathan Creek, but they're never the flashbacks like that you get in crap films, which are like, remember this thing that happened? You actually get the scene again where she was just like, that's another habit we've picked up from Melissa. It's, it's also really strange, uh, a reveal, because you get this half reveal with Lafley and his wife, and then you get another reveal later on then <laughs> when... It's, a, it's such an odd reveal because they talk... Jonathan Creek is doing the reveal to the people that have done it. And you're just like, why are you telling them how they did the trick? Yeah, also, what school has let them in just to, like, put in front of a bunch of schoolgirls? And then I don't understand the reveal because... So they go to Melissa and Jester doing a bit of a barbecue so for whatever reason. And... Melissa says she wanted to pay them back for one getting fired, but also for she thought the world of Benji. So she was like, she's not giving them a proper. He's not. They're not giving him a proper childhood. So I'm going to show them a lesson. But to do that, she ropes in her twelve-year-old sister to commit a crime. That's no childhood for her. But also ropes in a twelve-year-old sister and her entire class because loads of them are in on it. I know. Like no way are they not saying something. It's really strange. And also, I, I know it's like obviously incompetence from the, again, strange American character, uh, the lady who's doing the tour of the house. Like, I know it's it's not, she's obviously like worried straight away, but you would go, right, who's the, who are the ones who are in this uh, room? Right, stay here. So at least I know it was one of you. Um, but I guess they all are acting like it's disappeared. Um, but there's only four girls going in there at a time. So you'd just be like, right, you four, stop what you're doing. It's one of those ones. Like, I do generally, I do really like the way the sh uh, the the younger sister sort of melds in with the rest of the group when that happens. That is actually but quite nice. similar to Dance Macabre, yeah, you wouldn't check the paintings thinking there'd be a killer inside. But you'd have a look around. Yeah. like It's like when I lose my keys, I look in places that I know I never put them. But I'll have a look anyway. Yeah, just in case. I think you'd look at. I think you'd like look around the door frame. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Like you say, you might you'd look in places that you wouldn't leave your keys. But also at the same time, if it, one of the major players of losing your keys, say like pockets, um, 
and maybe your bag, right? Those are the ma- major players. Yeah. You're not going to go, oh, they're probably not in my pocket. They're probably not in my bag. Like, you would check that door. And when they show the door, there is a very weird little lever on it. You just think, like, one of the major players in this is this door. Like, you've got the door, and you've got the frame, and you've got the kids, really. Check the door. You, you they're, they're doing enough work on the impossible unopening window. Yeah. Check the door. <laughs> also, like, the police are in there. They have got uh, overalls and gloves on this time. But again, they're... It's a half-arse job. They're not checking the door. It's really odd, that is. The couple of little more gripes with it, I guess, is the the action of getting the painting in looks fiddly as hell. It really does. Because when they show it, it does not look like it's going up. It looks like she's just pushing it under the door. I think that'd be so fiddly to get all that painting all the way up there. 100%. Whenever I've tried, like, sometimes just rolling up a poster to put back in a tube, like, I've gone, oh, I've, I've, I've done that right. I've got to do it again, yeah. Also, they have destroyed the painting. She's cut it out of the frame. You've made a 12-year-old girl commit a crime to give another child a better life. It's all really, really strange. Um, and the child that you're trying to give a better life has his own lift. Hmm. It's got a better life for me. I don't have my own. Oh, I do have my own lift, actually, but... I have, to sh- I have to share with people, and it doesn't work sometimes. And it says 12th basement, even though I live on the 13th floor for some reason. Wild. Well, oh, who needs a 12th basement? Why is that even programmed <laughs> in there? The other thing is, the talcum footsteps. How is no one just going, this is weird that it's all in talc? And I know why they've done it, I think. It's just so it visually looks like footprints. But police with dust, they bring their own dust. It's really odd. Like, those footprints look shit and staged i feel like any but any policeman particularly two forensics in uh overalls i feel like someone's getting that yeah i think that exists just to give it a bit more texture and like another little clue thing going on yeah there's a lot of that in this episode to be fair i think it's because of the other stuff like the crime can't be more complex because it's got to do all this other stuff we're going to get onto in a minute so it kind of gets a bit rushed through like structurally it's just not all there or i mean it is all it is kind of all there but it's very very thin (laughs) that there's not much to it at all because there's a lot of other shit going on a lot of there's like a b c and a d story going on so well let's get let's get on to the elements then let's start this off with the victor meldrew award i've got three for this i think yeah i've got quite a few ones so let's go so my top one then uh, stingy nettle in the sandwich, kicking the masseuse into the pool twice. Yeah. Um, very, very odd. Uh, it's, it's really over the top. Um, my dog, Coco, keeps uh, pooing next to stingy nettles in the park. I don't know why she keeps doing it. So, like, I've basically... Danger. When I'm, yeah, when I'm... Danger poo. So when I'm trying to pick up the poo, I've got to get my hands dangerously close to stingy nettles. I don't know if she's doing it on purpose just to fuck with me, um, but it's really strange. I don't know why she keeps doing it. Um, but yeah that's that's a good one what else we got I've put we've already touched on it but old woman and the burial basically she's taking down three grown men and then my final one is the talcum powder shot yeah it's that talcum powder and then you just get covered in it it's a good last frame of a Jonathan Creek episode yeah it's really really good uh, it's not a freeze frame but it's close I've got as well Detective Roy Gregson alright I think that'll do won't it if you'd like to come with me please I beg your pardon. Detective Inspector Roy Gregson, I'm afraid as of now, this consultation's over. Like th- that, that weird thing that just keeps coming back. It's kind of strange. <laughs> and that feels like it, w- it, it would be in a 
uh, a Meldrew thing. It's like there's an amazing uh, Meldrew moment. One of my one of my favorites. It's so funny where Victor Meldrew gets a knock at the door and he lets in two strangers because he thinks his wife knows who the strangers are. So and the strangers are new neighbors who just came around to say hello, but he he thinks he's forgotten who they are. So he lets them in and then his wife comes home later on and goes in the kitchen. She's like. Who are those guys? And he's like, I haven't got the foggiest. I thought they were your mates. And then she's been sitting there all night. It's so fucking funny. But it kind of remembered me. We're gonna do, can we do a rewatch of One Foot in the Grave? After this, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you finish Jonathan Creek and then we'll do uh, One Foot in the Grave. Um, okay, things that's dated the most? I've put Barry not knowing what email is. Email? What's that? I can barely remember my postcode. I, I missed that. It's 1998. Come on. I think one of the things that's dated most, I think, is probably Sylvester LaFleur's character. Like, the snooty theatre critic. And just snooty theatre people in general. Yeah. Oh, who's the name of the guy who used to be on the BBC a lot? Like, the art critic who was just the biggest posh prick. Malcolm Ode. Oh, Brian Sewell. Did you ever see him? No, I don't think so. Oh, he used to be on like Newsnight Review. He's. I think that he might partly inspire Lafay. He's absolute prick. My view on conceptual art is that the concept is fine as long as it's. uh, It is the artist who is producing the concept. What I resent is the kind of thing where I put together a carrot and a rubber glove, and expect either the spectator or the curator, to give it meaning. Do you think that you need to be a good drawer, good at drawing, to the be considered? The word you're looking for is draftsman. Draftsman, <laughs> thank you. Well, that type of, I guess, like, Lady Teresa as well, is like, that kind of just posh, gentry, snooty person, yeah. It's like... Um, uh, every single British person in Three Men and a Little Lady, or every single British person in anything eighties or nineties related, like they were always just sort of like over the top posh person that I thought was really strange. And also things they the most referring to money as green ones. Oh, I didn't hear that. Green what? <laughs> green it's ones. An American thing. Because I think because this fifty grand is on offer. Obviously, Madeline has to say fifty thousand pounds a load of times. So. Uh, it comes into most British thing in a minute, but there's so many Britishisms for money. Like, have you got anything else for things that's dated the most? No. Almost all of my uh, most British things are about the money. She says, at one point, she has to, like, because she can't keep saying 50,000 pounds. So she says, uh, 100 grand, because it's 50 or 100 grand, because it, it goes up to 100 grand at one point. Pocket the dosh. Dosh is good. Dosh is a good Britishism. But there's loads of stuff like that. It's like, even with that, it's like, call him a gullible Pratt. I'll put Pratt. Pratt. Yeah, it's a good one. What else you got for most British thing? Pat lunch of a LucasAid and a Spam sandwich. <laughs> LucasAid is... I remember growing up, if I was ill, because of the way that it had been marketed, my mum would buy me a big bottle of LucasAid, like one of the giant ones of the red LucasAid, if I was ill, and I would drink it, and then obviously... About 4,000 calories. Yeah, 4,000 calories, so much sugar, glucose, all those E numbers, and then by the, you know, obviously by the time it settled, 
I'm good as gold and I'm absolutely fine. She's like, oh, he's fixed now. See, Luke's had fixed him right up. It's like, no, that's all the sugar that's in it. Yeah, I'm just distracted by my own brain. My mom's just like, Luke's had every time, sorts him right out. <laughs> Which what you would like, you take people in hospital. Yeah. Like Luke's had and grapes. I also, again, because there's a lot of some class stuff going on in this episode, you see, you see a posh person sandwich and you see a working class man yeah. sandwich. I'll tell you which one I prefer the look of. Yeah. The flay sandwich looks disgusting. It's weak. Yeah, it's got that crap lettuce. It's got the perfumey lettuce in it. Yeah. Really thin bread and rubbish. I'd have the spam sandwich any day. Also really strange that his sandwich has a cherry tomato, but just on the side. Really odd. Uh, I've put in British thing because I'm not sure if it is an American thing, but potpourri. Yeah, I'm not sure. I feel like that's I feel like that's a British thing. What you mean potpourri? One of the biggest cons of the 20th century. Yeah, my mum was obsessed with it. Really wild. Same with maybe talcum powder as well. I don't remember talcum powder coming up on in TV shows and films. Really, I think the only time i ever remember talcum powder being mentioned is in the edward norton red dragon he touched her touch touch talcum powder there was talcum powder <laughs> i don't know why i remember that but that's the only other time i remember hearing about it and i don't know whether this is british or whether i just associate it with my own childhood mm. Nettles and dock leaves being a thing. Yeah. I've never seen that in an American movie or TV show. Yeah. I remember as a as a kid, it's one of those things where if you get stung, your parents tell you to go find a dock leaf and then the actual search for it takes your mind off the pain? Or is it actually a thing? Yeah. Let's have a look. Um, no, it says it does neutralise the formic acid. Ah, also, until I watched this episode today with subtitles on, I've always throughout my entire life thought they were dock leaves. Really? Not dock leaves? Ah, that's amazing. There you go. Learn something with Jonathan Creek. Um, with stinging nettles, I remember as a kid, for the first time, I, like understanding or working out the concept of having a ruined day. Like of that something that there was something you could be having an awesome day and then something could ruin your day. I remember as a little kid being like, "Oh man, that's really ruined my day." That is being stung by that. It's a really sad moment as like an eight or nine year old, I think. But I remember just getting stung what early one morning whilst out playing and then going, "Well, I'm that's ruined. My day's ruined." <laughs> I was going to do loads of stuff. Yeah, a little stressed out eight year old Gav. <laughs> This is a really weird one because I've, I've put it in most British thing because just because I've never fucking heard it. Shall we wend? What the hell is that? I had to look it up. And it's go in a specified direction, typically slowly or by an indirect uh, route. Wend. In Welsh, there's a saying which is Cerdded uh, Lingdi Long. Cerdded Lingdi Long, which is like, it means exactly the same thing. And I guess Lindy Long, wend. Kind of oh, it's almost, it almost sounds like a participle of wind. Mm. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Got anything else from a most British thing? No, I think that's me. Oh, well, apart from a villain named Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Detective Roy Gregson. <laughs> We're, like, we'll go through, at the end of this podcast, just all the baddies' names. And it's like, the, it'll sound like a fucking new series about Vida Saint Pat. Like, they're so working class. <laughs> Obviously, this was made in the 90s, so some things that were all right then... Not all right now. So in this, is that all right? Usually using a mentally unstable fella uh, to help you get 50 grand. 
Is that right? Yeah, that's what I've written. Taking advantage <laughs> of someone with a mental health problem. I mean, she's meant to be a journalist, um, but she's doing it for the money now, is she? Yeah, so we got a new definition of a job. We did. It says investigative crime writer. Yeah, so has she taken journalists out there to make herself feel better about taking 50 grand? <laughs> That's not all right, is it? Because also, Detective Roy Gregson, the mentally unstable fella, does seem particularly mentally unstable. Like, he thinks he's someone else. Schiz- kind of schizophrenia, even. Like, that yeah. seems very extreme. Should he be allowed out of that hospital? I don't know. I, I really don't get that. Also, it takes a long time for the other therapist to realise he's gone. Yeah. And get him back. <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, he went with that Maddie girl. Like that is, it's really, really odd. That is. Also, if I had him in the same practice, I'd probably let the other therapist know he might come in. Because yeah, she seems very shocked by it. She doesn't really know what's going on either. It's not right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's open up the grot cabinet then. Adam. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, Adam. How are you doing? And I've actually I've got one for Adam, which is. A really odd one, which is uh, he's looking at the two policewomen. He says, Give me a waterbed and three snorkels, and I could be in paradise. I've just written down, like, what does he think a waterbed is? Do you think what does he think a snorkel is? Yeah. But also, I was thinking, like, but is that purposely stupid by him? Like, so we, so it's meant to be so stupid that we're like, he's a fucking moron. Yeah. I think the other thing it could be is just writing something that sounds like an innuendo that's not. To the point that you have to imagine the most grotty image to make it make sense. Yeah. Like, you almost have to make it, make something really, a really grotty image in your head to even make that work. But it, it kind of goes back, like, it reminded me of something from episode one, which I know is a different actor playing it, but it is the same character. So they are kind of saying the same thing. Well, he says he wants to lie beside Francesca in a bath of warm glue. And, like, we talked about it at the time. It's like, that doesn't sound sexy. It sounds like a fucking pain in the ass. So I don't understand his sexual metaphors. Like, has he had sex? <laughs> he, I bet he doesn't. I bet he's just into this weird thing like, where he's just in the waterbed. It's clear yeah. he's looking out. Oh. I think this is one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films where someone gets trapped in a waterbed and it right. looks horrible. That's why, that's maybe he saw that and he had, he had a little epiphany. Yeah, that's really, really weird. You got anything else for the Grot Cabinet? Um, coming on to the Queen. Yeah. Being quite being quite flirty with the queen yeah 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 that's fair enough I she might enjoy it i don't know don't know she's got a really dirty laugh <laughs> kind of <laughs> let's uh let's shut that up sorry ad see you in a bit mate one thing to be fair i did have but this kind of goes into our jonathan and maddie uh update is maddie specifically going to a therapist that deals in sexy dreams and she's talking about she's like she, the therapist like have you had any more erotic dreams and again like she, again she says like a really crap sexy thing as well it's like maybe david renwick has never had sex maybe that's what it is like it's a bit like the 40 year old virgin thing isn't it i think it's the guardian that does like the sex awards or the like sex in writing awards every year and it's always like the worst sex writing and it's always by men writing horrible stuff about women's bits and you're just like this man's never seen a breast before this is a strange one for jonathan and maddie because the crime that they're solving is quite silly or made quite silly by sylvester lafley and the sort of posh bits to it but there's actually something like generally quite serious going on 
underneath it, like with Gordon Hill. Yeah, because the Gordon Hill thing we see written in Maddie's diary, which for the first time, we've had a, quite a few episodes on The Bounce where Maddie's been the more actively jealous person in their relationship. Yeah. And for the first time you see that Jonathan is capable of that jealousy as well. Because mm. she thinks she's meeting a guy called uh, Gordon Hill. So he goes to see Barry on his own. And Barry does a gear change like you've never seen in your life. <laughs> His little monologue is so intense. It's dark. They shoot, it, they shoot it in an extreme close-up. And he really milks his accent, which I like. But it's this really dark monologue about how Maddie didn't know her dad, how yeah. her mum committed suicide in a really grisly way. Really grisly. When Maddie was 17. It's a really odd story as well. But like, yeah. Also, should he be telling him all this? It's quite personal, isn't it? Yeah. And we also get, it's quite a good little time check as well. It says, how long have you known Maddie? A matter of months. Didn't even say a year yet. No, that's interesting. I'm trying to figure out the timeline on all this. Like, this first season, I think, is in a few months. And then we know we've got a six-month jump in this season alone. Yeah. So still not, you don't, you know, still getting to know each other. Less than a year, it feels like. But yeah, he tells her this and it obviously does instantly, you could say, kind of a bit crude, that gives like Maddie all this kind of psychological backstory. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a, a really, really strange one. But also, what's odd as well is that Jonathan can't work it out himself. Like, he's had two clues, which I think is right at the beginning. They kind of talk about it cryptically in front of him. And then he sees Gordon Hill in the book. But he can't work it out. He has to go to uh, Barry to be able to just get the full scope of it because he's like oh, yeah I might have worked out that trick straight away walking into a room but I can't work out what what the fuck Gordon Hill is I can't remember it was in a previous episode he had something else where he had a bit of a blind spot when he normally would get it when it was something relating to Maddie and I think it's when it's something to do with her his his intellect goes off the rails a little bit he loses it because he takes Gordon Hill for face value when we've had a couple of episodes, particularly Time Waits for Norman, yeah. where his whole thing is don't take things at face value. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And Jonathan has done that because I think the jealousy just kind of clouds his judgment, which is what Jonathan's all about. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. We've got like a good thing coming back to show his face again, which is the whole thing um, of... Like Maddie says, like, okay, here we go. You enjoy making me feel like a moron again. And it goes back to that thing. Jonathan's like, no, you think to you like to enjoy the fact that you think I like think making you think you're a moron. And it's like still going on. Um, she's like, you've got an elaborate bluff to make me feel like a dunce. I just like when they turn up at um, Lafley's mansion. Um, that little um, Benjamin thinks they're married because they're arguing. Yeah, because they're arguing. That's really sad. That is Maddie crying. Is I wasn't. I didn't like that. It's a gear change, as you say, like when Barry's talking about it. But also just for the episode as well, because the episode is so silly, and so many silly things have happened. Um, and then all of a sudden, you just get this shot of her crying, and like the shot of the house being demolished. I don't know. For me, I was just thinking about like all the uh, images. Of Fred and Rose's West house being um, demolished. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like when they did that, like on Cromwell Street, when they like they show like the house being like torn down and stuff because it was like it's an evil. It has like an evil presence. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. We also get this really sort of silly, almost Meldrew-esque conversation then back at their house where he's talking about one story, she's talking about another story, and the idea of people just not communicating anymore. 
And you're just like, yeah, it's just a bit. Because she asks him, would you ever want to have a family? <laughs> then, get, then gets a big face full of towel compelled <laughs> Yeah. How should we end this episode? Oh, my God. Yeah. He's just like, I have no clue. Because I don't even know what where they're meant to be or where they're meant to be going. I'm assuming at Maddie's bathroom, for some reason, they're just in there. There's a couple of bits like that, though, like where I, I feel like there's been scenes cut out. Because Maddie, Jonathan comes around to her house and there's the shot of him walking in, opening up. And he's like, you still owe me lunch. The next scene is then coming back from lunch. So, and then he opens the door and he's just walking through again. And you're just like, that's the exact same scene. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, I thought, we, when I watched it again today, I was like, oh, we're going to get another restaurant scene. Another nice pub, yeah. No. Oh, I would love the bit in a pub today. I know. Come on, give us a bit in a pub. On the next episode, we're dealing with a murderer who returns from the grave in The Problem at Gallows Gate. Up the Creek is produced by RKG. We make videos and podcasts about games, movies, basically anything fun, including 23-year-old BBC shows about a magician's assistant who lives in a windmill. If you'd like to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash RKG.